This episode is brought to you by iFundWomen. Did you know that women are starting over 1,800 new businesses a day? Did you know that women only get 2% of VC dollars to start their business? So what's the solution for women founders? That's where iFundWomen comes in. From inspiration to realization, iFundWomen provides early-stage entrepreneurs with access to capital via crowdfunding and grants. They have expert coaching and a powerful community of women business owners. If you need to raise money for your business or if you're passionate about supporting women-led startups, head on over to iFundWomen.com. iFundWomen, for women who have big ideas, we're here to make them happen. I had a guest on very early on in the uh, in the show who said to me, there are two ways you can make money, okay? there's You can make money from what you do, which is like the title on your business card, your LinkedIn website, your LinkedIn profile, like, you know, Farnish Trabi, financial advice giver. Right. But then there's also what you know, mm-hmm. which you can take in any direction. How did you get to your career? You know that. How, what, how did you build relationships? That's something you know. Maybe your job is... Um, production for a studio well you can you can film you can shoot photos you can edit you can you know about sound you know about booking all those skills are monetizable you can teach all of these things to people welcome back welcome back welcome back to working wife happy life i am your host bethany baines I was so thrilled by all of the incredible feedback from last week's episode with Vicki Medvek. I have also since learned that it's near impossible to get into her courses at Kellogg School of Management. So those lessons and tips were really an in-demand treat for us on this community. I also want to thank those of you that reached out. We love to hear from you. So keep the comments and feedback coming. You can reach out to us on Instagram or our email, workingwifehappylifepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. So this week, I got to sit down with my friend Farnoosh Tarabi. And she is really one of the pioneers in raising awareness and discussing breadwinning women, as well as an expert in all things personal finance. So some of you may know her from her many TV appearances on CNBC or The Today Show or Good Morning America. Some of you may know her for her best-selling book, When She Makes More, 10 Rules for Breadwinning Women. Or some of you may know her for her award-winning podcast, So Money, which actually aired its 1,000th episode on the morning we sat down together. I mean, come on, how accomplished is she? During our conversation, she shares insights into societal gender norms, the pressure on us as working women and working moms, some of the ways that she has navigated her career, and some of her biggest lessons on both monetary gains and losses. She's as sweet and funny as she is knowledgeable, and I'm so happy to bring her to our community, this time on the other side of the microphone for her. So here is my conversation with Farnoosh. I have to say, I woke up this morning, so I have this weird thing, you know, where I'm home by myself um, during the week for a few days, so like... I am like almost like a degenerate. Like I stay up till midnight, like watching movies and ordering takeout. And then I wake up at eight and I'm like, oh my God, I got to go. My husband's like, you're like a fucking bachelor. Like you're, <laughs> it's just like, it's you're so, a like, college sophomore, totally you know, is. but it's so 
it, like well, I miss maybe? them, but it's also so enjoyable. Yeah. No, he would be like cooking himself like a five course dinner and like, <laughs> you know, reading some like listening to in Mozart. Depth, total, well, yeah, probably actually. He's so obnoxious. I'm like, I need to like <laughs> binge Showtime and then uh, eat. Ri- I ate. Ribs what are you last watching? Night. So I just started watching um, Work in Progress on Showtime. Holy shit! It's so good. It's so good. Funny? Is it scary? It's funny. It's funny, funny, funny. And it's, there's like a lot, what I love about it. So it talks a lot about like, um, like non-gender normative folk and like, you know, definitely like the main character is gay and she's dating a trans man, but they like call out some of the ways that normal, not normal people, but a lot of us are confused. Like they're like her friends are talking. They're like, okay, so is your new girlfriend a him, right? And I'm like, I love yeah, that yeah. they expose this and just yeah. like go through all this stuff. But it's very touching. It's dramatic, but it's also like hilarious. And, and it's just like really good TV. Work in progress. Really, work okay, in progress. Yeah. Highly recommend. Showtime does good stuff. Mm-hmm. Billions. Agreed. Homeland. Although I'm getting Agreed. over Homeland. I'm like, every season I'm like. It's too close I to home. Well, it's, they literally film it across the street. Like all the bombings. <laughs> like, like, so that is very close to home. Uh, <laughs> But I'm just over it. I'm like Carrie and her psychedelic. Oh yeah, she has a lot breakdowns. of yeah. It's like it's a lot to take in. It's a, it's heavy and it's very stress. That's so that's part of like when I watch stuff that that's heavy before I go to bed. I have sleeping issues anyway. I'm like I don't need. No. I need to like then watch something watch, super like, light like Company Modern or Family. Something. Exactly. Yeah. Like I need to like lift it up here. Um, we've been super into Apple TV morning um, show. Yes. Oh, so my God. It was a bit of a slow build. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was definitely going to watch the whole thing because it's so much of a life that I lived, like witnessed. And, you yeah. know, um, I feel like, you know, 10 years with the Today Show, it's like I know Matt Lauer. Like, yeah. I just want to oh, see what other people like. I just it other was perception. Yeah. That's fascinating. And then it got so good. Like the acting just went kicked it up. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Especially I, I do feel like it built, like it got like better as it went. I I identified with Jennifer Aniston's character so much. Yeah. Like just when she freaked out on her daughter like that. Yes. I thought I want to play that over and over again. I don't know why it makes me feel so good. Yeah. It's so uh I mean, I hopefully we will never get to that point with our daughters. No. I was never, I like to think I wasn't ever her daughter. My mother also wasn't Jennifer Aniston in that she didn't like have a career like that. So I think that's, but I felt like everything she said was on point. Well, and the way she experienced the workplace and the way that she kind of talked about, um, just the way she had her guard up and was also trying to be, you know, professional, protective, um, keep her personal life on track in a very public profile. Like everything she said, like I, I felt her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was so real. And and the things that she deals with, with all the backstabbing men don't, and politics. I'm sorry to generalize, but men don't have all those cocktails of emotions when they go to work. They're no. not thinking about, you know, do they deserve to be there? Which is probably a running thought, you know, yeah. or, or am I getting too old for this job? Yeah. You know, am, am, seriously. Or could I have done more? Could I have done, you know, I think that all these voices in her head are what a lot of women go through, no matter what the job, whatever the title. It's just, it's inherent to being a woman who is being allowed, frankly, to be in the workplace. We weren't allowed 
years. Right. You know, we we want not that we long f- ago. We want to feel like we've earned it and like this is not about permission anymore. We're here that we're claiming this, but there's a side of us that sort of always feels like we just should just be happy to be there. Yeah. And play nice, nice. Right. And keep everything at home copacetic. Right. So yeah. like there's this, th- there was an article that just came out where they talked about how there's a rise in rate of divorce of women as they reach the C-suite that they don't see with men and all of those different norms that play out. And so there's, there's almost an, an expectation either way for men that like, A, your personal life is going to fall apart because you're so successful and that's, you know, unfortunately when happens or B, your personal life is going to be on track because you are so successful and you provide for your family and all this stuff. And for women, it becomes this double bind where there's an expectation that in order to be successful, you have to be successful at all aspects of your life. And if for some reason your personal life falls apart, well, it must be because you put so much emphasis on your career. Yeah. And I don't feel like, again, broad generalizations, it doesn't happen everywhere, but I do feel like there's this kind of push-pull for for women and success, and particularly in Mm public-facing, you know, environments or public environments where you become a public persona, which you obviously have experience with both on television and your podcast and your interviews and your writings. And, you know, I, I, I guess actually a question for you is... When you are kind of so much of what you do is based on your personal experiences and bringing that into the world. And do you have moments where you are hesitant about that or where you were nervous about putting Mm -hmm. that out or moments where you just felt like, if I don't say this, no one is? I felt all those things. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Not many people ask me that, but it's, it is definitely part of the, um, the process. You know, when I wrote When She Makes More, before I kind of, you know, put the proposal together and even until I published it and even now, even I, there are definitely moments where I'm like, did I share too much? Is this too much? Um, because the book does talk about my relationship with my husband. It does talk about, in particular, the strain on the on my relationship with my mom and mm. kind of outing her a little bit as far as her unwillingness to accept that I was marrying a man who made less. Mm. Like, she just could not wrap her head around that and it made her feel very scared for me. Yeah. And, I, and you know, it's taken years, but, like, I ultimately I have compassion for her and her and and anyone who doesn't quite understand this because yeah it's it's new and it's nuanced and it's not what we perceive to be like a safe setup right in the sense that it used to be so easy the man made the money the wife made raised the kids like it seemed like that was very harmonious yeah until it wasn't you know well and it's also like it's so far away that the sheen is there that you romanticize it meanwhile these women were like popping pills and miserable and you know isolated and all of those things so it wasn't this it was sold as a false bill of goods right and yes so to answer your question i did have a lot of you know, inner dialogue and also conversations with my husband. But I, I'm lucky. I felt very supported from my immediate community. Like my mother was supportive, despite the fact that she was like, "Okay, you're gonna, you're gonna drive me under the bus, drag me under the bus a little bit in this book." I get it. My husband, um, he read every chapter before I submitted. Just I was not because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't writing anything that was 
disturbing or mean or unkind. It was just that, you know, you remember how things go and you want to make sure that your memory is accurate. You want to make like, is this how that scenario went down? That's how I remember it. But let's, you know, um, I know I read a couple, I've read a couple of memoirs recently where the author sort of prefaces like, just so you know, like, this is how I remembered everything. Yes. Which may not have actually been the way that it went down, but this is how I internalized and remembered stuff. Yeah. And I just felt like if I'm going to tell a story about me and my husband, that I want to just fact check it with him a little bit or like gut check it with him and right. say, is this how we felt in the moment? Yeah. And if not, let's write about that. Right. And, and also like to respectfully acknowledge that there's two sides to every story. Yeah. So my perception, you know... Obviously, we're both moms, too. We don't have that much time to digest and dissect every single thing that happens in our personal lives with our relationships. So a lot of things just happen, and you don't actually talk about them. You just keep moving forward. So saying, okay, I actually walked away from that conversation or that situation with this perception, or I perceive your role and your perspective on this as that. Is this the case? And I actually read a book recently. I read the book Educated. And she did the same thing where she was talking about childhood memories. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about your mom or or things that may happen, particularly around the topic of money, providing for your family, picking a partner, like you're going to have a different perception of the lessons they were trying to teach you. And it gets very muddied as you... It does, Progress, because so. I'm sure our children are experiencing life in a different way than what we think. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not talking about it in the moment. Right. And it's not until 30 years later, and they're in therapy, and they're like, oh, I didn't realize this was the traumatic experience for me. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I so my son <laughs> is 12, and I do... Uh, read his text messages and it's okay he caught me in a very unfortunate situation doing just that so he knows if he ever listens to this recording but um what's interesting is I get to see this slice of how he digests some of the things we discuss toward his friends um and so of course I'm looking for any red flag activity but there's some really interesting dialogues that happen where I realize like oh a shit he was listening um good or bad and B, that he is like putting his own lens on mm-hmm. the lessons we're teaching it and taking that into um, the space. And it's, it's, it's very interesting, but I guarantee that he is experiencing my role as a parent much differently than I think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we all do that. That's part of like human familial Hopefully, relationships. Did you see that study recently? I think it was, um, well... I forget who did it. It was in it was in the Atlantic. There was this very long piece that pretty much stemmed from this one survey recently of high school students, boys, girls, and what they think is sort of the ideal marriage. Hmm. And the mo- majority said that it's where the husband is the provider, makes more, and the woman plays more of a supporting role. The article was called something like, you know getting a promotion and how it like threatens your relationship from the female perspective, because that's kind of what happening, happening across um, households where maybe there isn't this expectation that she's going to rise to to be the breadwinner. And then all of a sudden her career really goes for it and she gets promoted. She gets all the money and the, and it really creates this uh, awkward imbalance. Yeah. And both men and women are saying like, we don't in this, article the survey which uh, people were upset like the survey they felt was just sort of a miniature snapshot like it why are we extrapolating this to say like everybody feels this way and but I do think back to your story about your son it is about 
what you're used to seeing. Totally. Do you remember being in high school and being like, I can't wait to be the female breadwinner? No, I never no, said that. Because exactly. I didn't have that modeled for right. me. Um, I didn't probably have any opinions on it, good or bad, but I, it just didn't enter my mindset as a possibility. Yeah. So if I'm taking a survey <laughs> and right. someone's asking me a leading question, I might say something that d feels right to me in the moment, but it's not. it should not be taken as sort of like, the zeitgeist of the current, The you know. defining thing yeah. of this generation. And also, if you think about, so I look at our generation and, and around our age that we are, you know, probably, we are definitely the biggest faction of breadwinning women that the, our society has seen. We are just unearthing kind of all of the, the many facets of this topic and how it plays out both inside and outside the home. And so these children are being raised by this generation that's now starting to get a voice and starting to figure out what this is. So like you're saying, they may be having it modeled for them. It may be a very imperfect situation. It may be something that they didn't expect. They may see their parents actually going through the evolution of getting into these roles. Um, I actually had somebody bring up, and this has been a topic recently, of, you know, it's not always working wife happy life. Right. And and I get that. And that's precisely why this name is so important to me, because the, the truth is that it's not. And so how do we get us there? How do we evolve toward that? And you've done a ton of research on this and a ton of exploration within your book about, um, you know, the, the strain on a relationship or the evolution of becoming the breadwinner, how that plays out. I would love to just hear your perspective mm -hmm. on when it's not happy life, like what are some of the things that we see contributing to that? Sure. Well, when you think about the centuries, the many, many millions of years of conditioning, social conditioning, right, where we say to, to men uh, or those who identify male, like your, your role really, your most important role in, in a marriage is to provide. That is what we're going to say. We're going to assign that role yeah. to you. And that's what we're going to celebrate when you do that. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to reward you. We're going to praise you. You're going to be a good man, a good husband, good father. And and so that is just kind of what the the message has been for men. For, for women, it's the opposite. Um, we're going to celebrate you, praise you, reward you as the woman who is sort of head of household mm -hmm. in, in the domestic department, raising the kids, <laughs> um, making the, the perfect Christmas dinner, um, the hostess with the mostest, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, <laughs> God help my, my husband got a <laughs> bill of goods on that one. <laughs> so we grow up with these uh, messages and these things model to us. And we just feel like this is what normal is mm -hmm. and what acceptable is. Um, and so we then if we are not in a relationship that resembles that, it's unsettling for yeah. everybody. I mean, I wrote the book and and there was an assumption, I guess people didn't, some people who didn't read the book thought like, oh, so all these men, women don't have a problem with it. It's just the men. And now it's the women's role to fix that. Mm. Right. right. Putting things, even more onus yeah, on us. Thanks for getting yeah. us more work, Farnoosh. And <laughs> exactly. I was like, no, but, you know, look, more women are coming to me with this problem. Men are not, although men are secretly in hiding, like yes. devastated because yeah. they don't know how to feel um, like a provider. 
in the relationship anymore because they just don't think that it's quote unquote enough or masculine or, you know, or acceptable for them to not work or work, but make less. Um, They're not communicating this to their wives and wives also are kind of arriving if they weren't sort of, you know, raised with this expectation and arriving in the marriage, not realizing, oh, this is going to be my role. Oh, okay. They don't, feel also that it's very feminine. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like it's fair sometimes because they haven't given up all the other responsibilities of right. being at the forefront of parenting, being the hostess with the most is taking the kids to all the doctor appointments, you know, being in on the parent PTA. I had a conversation with a woman just a few weeks ago who's a high up executive at a bank who makes more than her husband. And she pulled me aside. She's like, I'm reading your book right now. Thank you. Um, And here's what I'm grappling with. I feel like I go to work and I go to work and I'm the only woman at my level, at my Mm -hmm. executive level. These men come to work, their wives make less or they, maybe they make the same, but these men are not doing as much on at home. They came to work. What did they have to do this morning? They woke up Went to the gym. They had a, yeah, they, they went to the gym. They had, they had their clothes laundered. They had an ironed suit. Ready to go. The coffee was made. Yeah. They got in the car. They got here. She's like, I'm uh, embarrassed to tell you, I didn't have, I had to like do my laundry this morning because I didn't have clean underwear. Mm-hmm. Okay. My husband's not like sending me off to work with a kiss on the cheek. You know what I mean? Right. And not that she needs that, but it is the, the, the problem now is like you go to work and you're expected to give 110% at work. Mm-hmm. And she does. But it's also she goes home and she has to give another 110%. Right. So where does this leave her? After just a few short years, she's depressed. She's stressed. She's overwhelmed. She's resentful. She's sleep deprived. She's sleep deprived. Yep. Um, and then so it's no wonder that you don't have time to talk about right. this because you're so spent and exhausted. It's make It makes a harder life even harder. Money is already a complicated issue in a all relationships. It's often a point of contention. It's it's often a leading indicator <laughs> for divorce. Right. If you fight about money, you're more likely to get divorced. Well, then you add to it this additional layer of taboo and complexity, which is a female breadwinner now running the household. And it just, for many couples, it increases their likelihood for divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So I and heard- it's almost that it's, it's that expectation buildup. And you've probably seen this as well, that phrase where we expect women to work like they don't have children and then mother like they don't have a job. Yeah. And it's like, where the fuck did those expectations <laughs> come from? Like, we still have 24 hours in our day. And when I see particularly working moms, particularly new moms, um, the things that they immediately deprioritize when they're trying to juggle everything, right? They immediately deprioritize themselves and their health, right? Mm-hmm. So so exercise, wellness, sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, they deprioritize time for things that will be long-term rewards. So I think a lot about our investment in our adult friendships mm-hmm. with our girlfriends. That yes. is the first thing to go by the wayside. I can't have dinner. I can't stop for those drinks. I've got so much on my plate. I got to put the kids to bed. I, you know, so-and-so is sick. So-and-so has a fever. And it's like, there will always be something. But let me tell you, you will need those women time and time again in your life. And if you don't nurture those relationships, like, the impact to your physical health and your mm-hmm. emotional health in the long term is detrimental. Yeah. And so I see women kind of taking this message of all these expectations and then they look for where they can trim the fat in their day. Yes. And it's always these things that are actually so valuable. 
we lose sight in lieu of making like the perfect snack for preschool right well uh, to that point there was a book that i read in my research and i interviewed the author the book is called perfect perfect madness i think it's called mm. and it's about motherhood in the age of anxiety and you know she kind of it was a sort of a, a historical look at modern day motherhood mm -hmm. and starting back to maybe the industrial revolution to now when moms started to work a little bit because they had to right. all their husbands were at war but ultimately i walked away from that book realizing that we have this messed up metric when it comes to measuring your um, success as a mom we necessarily equate messiness effort and hard work and and all the like you know just the more work you put into being a mom the better mom you are right we don't reward outsourcing mm -hmm. admitting to shortcuts you know dropping the ball like right. these things we we feel or like not bringing the baked cupcakes you know like store bought, store -bought. Yeah. you know it's so we we confuse being a good mom with being a mom that is overworked mm -hmm. and that's a really screwed up message because right. to your point earlier that mom hasn't been to the doctor she probably isn't getting her breast exam you yeah. know like she's not hitting the gym she's not even going for a brisk walk and it's to the detriment of her family when we when we glamorize it like that when we say like this is what a perfect mom is because oh you know, she's making all these sacrifices. The yeah. sacrificial mom is oh my the good God. mom. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm having all it's these not. visions of a sacrificial lamb. But it is like we're we're almost like sending you into a gunfight with a knife, right? Or, or however that <laughs> saying goes, where it's just like there's no way to actually win. At the same rate, all the studies show that we are spending more time, more quality time with our children. Yeah. We are doing more activities with our children so that they have enriching options in their life, right? We're dragging them to piano class and to trapeze and all of this shit. And and yet we are being told or feeling or internalizing or blaming ourselves for failing, I would argue, way more than moms of yesteryear. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, haven't, but those I haven't done are, any research on it, but it's just my anecdotal No, those are, those are real facts. The fact that we are spending more time with our children, when, even though we feel like we're not... Even though, yes, maybe the housewife in the 50s, she was home, but she was also socializing, mm -hmm. going out with her friends. I mean, she wasn't home playing Legos with her kids all right, day. Her right. kids were in school. So this idea that we're bad parents because we're working all the time, um, guess what? The income is supporting your family. Right. A two-income household necessarily means more security for your family because mm -hmm. if you lose your job, your spouse loses your job, you can still keep the lights on. Yes. There's more divorce, more income instability, more economic fragility when there's just one income. Oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I got to go. Um. <laughs> um, well, it's a generalization, but the, right. the no, but it's, 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 you know, we're already living yeah. paycheck to paycheck, you know, so if you're just one income, it's, it, it makes it hard, assuming you don't have savings and all that, which I'm yeah. sure you do. But that's the reality. And we often just ignore these facts. Right. We just kind of go with what, you know, we think because what we've been told all these years or what society tells or what the media tells us. Yeah. The t Stop going on the television and Instagram and all these places that are glamorizing these lifestyles that are just not real. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit. 
and uh, talk about. So what's really amazing to me and your profound success. So first of all, you have reached a thousand podcast episodes today. Today. I'm only doing what I want to do today, which is spend time with you, eat a bagel. Oh, yay. Walk around Fifth Avenue. What's your favorite bagel flavor? I like an everything bagel with scallion cream cheese and a tomato. Oh, didn't expect the tomato to get thrown in there. I don't know. I just like the texture. Or I'll just go bacon, egg, and cheese with an everything bagel. That's also... Now, do you toast or not toast the bagel? That was a big point of debate with the Blasio. I usually toast it. Not with my kids. Yeah. It's too rough on their... Uh, tender know, palate. Tender palate. <laughs> it's too crunchy. It's too crunchy. <laughs> they're so freaking picky, aren't they? Oh my they? gosh. Oh my god, it's unbelievable. But sometimes they're right. It is too. And then it gets dry. Sometimes yeah. they over toast it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they. Uh, yeah, I think as you age, it beats the like special need. I like texture like, requests out of you. Yeah. Um. So you're only doing what you want to do today because, first of all, uh, given I'm on episode four. Uh, a thousand episodes is an incredible feat. You are obviously a best-selling author as well. You are a TV personality in terms of all things finance, and you do a lot of television appearances. You do a lot of programs that you run for women who are pitching businesses or thinking about starting to write a book or launch their own podcast, men and women. Um, like, how did you, and as the breadwinner, kind mm-hmm. of have both the the guts and the um, confidence to go out on your own and effectively be your own brand and be, you know, hustling for your own income um, as the breadwinner. Because I see myself as the breadwinner in a corporate career. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that um, responsibility that you're like, okay, I've got my 401k match. I've got my benefits. I've got my life insurance. And it's very scary to think about having to do all of that on my own and be a breadwinner. How did you kind of evolve through that for yourself? Well, I got laid off, which was helpful. (laughs) The the catalyst. (laughs) I literally wasn't allowed to go back to corporate. Uh, I mean, I guess I could have, but um, it was the recession. So there weren't Mm -hmm. many job openings um, in in my space as a, as the, at the time I was a correspondent and every media was consolidating or, you know, getting, um, you know, self-destructing at the time. It was just a really rough economy. Um, my mother was laid off. I feel like everybody in their neighbor had lost their job. Um, so I think I just did it initially because I didn't feel like I had a lot of choice, but honestly, also part of me really wanted this, but was afraid, afraid of how am I going to get the health insurance? If I'm a, if I'm, an independent contractor or an entrepreneur, like, how, and I didn't ha- even have a husband or children at the time, right? I just I got laid off in two thousand eight, uh, two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I think it was two thousand nine, and I was like, where am I gonna get my photocopies done? Where am I? Yeah. Where, where am I, is my cell phone now going to be my business phone? Like, how mm-hmm. does this work? So I realized that, um, I could always go back to working full time, but let me give myself this like period of six months or whatever. And I had savings, thankfully, to allow me yep. to not feel like I had to make knee jerk decisions. Like I have to go back and work because I need to pay my rent. Um, instead, I was like, let's kind of go through the motions and obviously put myself out there. And I had been building some momentum while I was working in uh, for my news 
room, I was um, outside of that. You know, I'd published a book. I was doing some speaking, some television. So I had some momentum. Yeah. So it wasn't like I got laid off and was sort of like kicked to the curb without anything to show for it. I had my book, which I just milked it. You know, I just used that as a platform. And this was when she makes more? This was You're So Money. Oh, my so very this is your first, first book. book. Okay. Yeah. So I've had three books. The first one, You're So Money, came out in 2008. 2009, I got laid off. The book became my business card. Mm-hmm. It became my my, you know, everything. And um, from there was able to strike a lot of contract work with brands, with networks, with, I could write every, anywhere I wanted. Now I had almost like carte blanche. I could do whatever I wanted, um, which was great, but also, yeah, it was a lot of hustle. But I think what, that was also what now 10, 11 years ago. So Practice makes perfect. Yep. I'm still in a practice. I'm still practicing, but I feel like I'm, I've lost the fear. I've shed that. I've shed a lot of the insecurity. I just know now how I, I, my job as a breadwinner is to literally make the money. Right. So I look at everything as I I love thinking about revenue streams. Yeah. I love thinking about not, and this is advice for your listeners. Okay. I give this advice. I gave this advice today on my podcast because I've now interviewed a thousand people. What's been the most concrete life changing advice for me. And I think for a lot of people on the show, I had a guest on very early on in the, uh, in the show who said to me, there are two ways you can make money. Okay. There's, you can make money from what you do, which is like the title on your business card, your LinkedIn website, your LinkedIn profile, like, you know, Farnish Trabi, financial advice giver. Right. But then there's also what you know, mm-hmm. which you can take in any direction. How did you get to your career? You know that. How, wh- how did you build relationships? That's something you know. How did you, you know, you could break up your career into all these different facets. Maybe it's like, you know, you also, maybe your job is um, production for a studio. Well, you can, f- you can film, you can f- shoot f- photos, you can edit, you can, you know about sound, right. you know about booking. All those skills are monetizable. You can teach all of these things to yep. people. How you got to your, you know, your position at your, in your career, all of those, um, you know, relationships that you striked, the things that you studied, the mistakes you made, all of those can now be taught to others. Mm-hmm. And oh, I love that idea st- of like, the, take your mistakes, take your mistakes and share that and share and that and make money off them. Cause mm-hmm. I said, I, you know, so one of the first things that I did it, it to that, you know, in, in that, uh, in, for the, for the sake of that, uh, advice was I thought, okay, what's the one thing that people are asking me about the most these days? Like, what mm-hmm. do they come to me asking for advice on? And, Outside of finance, people were coming to me and saying, how did you write a book? Like, how Mm. did you use your book to build your platform? And how did you even get the book deal? And I thought, all right. I started giving people just sort of like one-off advice at conferences. I would do, you know, if they were a friend of a friend, I would talk to them on the phone. And I was like, could I just teach this? Mm -hmm. Could I run a workshop and bring in literally literary agents, publishers, media people to kind of tell you the behind the scenes of the publishing industry, how to do a book proposal, how to get a book deal, and then not only get the book deal, but then use that to really build your career out. And I tested it. And I, and I, five, five years later, I've been doing every year a workshop. Wow. And we've got, you know, at this point, like dozens and dozens of people who've gone through it. It's intimate. I like doing it. it. For me, it's like putting on my producer hat. It's like I got to schedule the catering and the guests and the this and that. And this. But I love it. And it's something that I would have never thought to do until someone opened my eyes to that. And then I started to look 
at my own life through that lens. Yeah. Like what am I doing that I'm taking for granted yes. that other people find to be extremely informative and yeah. interesting? Well, and you realize that having gone through those experiences, you've you've done the research, you've had the experience, you've had the failures, you've had the successes, you've met the people, you've built this roadmap and what can you shortcut for people? Right. And that and that's the thing where I think we take for like you're saying, we take it for granted that you know, what we've been through has value to others versus just being our journey mm-hmm. and, and and the ability to share that and make a, you know, week-long research project a, you know, 20-second soundbite for somebody is helping them along that path. And I've found in the work that I do how, particularly for women, how willing we are to help one another, mm-hmm. right? Like how much there is around this space of like, I am going to help you to learn what I've done and obviously monetize it in a way that you're making your your business and you're earning the money that you need to make for your family. But also this way of like, I'm going to lift you with me because I've figured all of these things out and you may have a different experience, but let me share my experience. So at least it gives you some guardrails as yes, you go. Yes. And that's very valuable. I, I remember we were talking about one uh, project together, you and I, and I love this because it's stuck with me and I've been meaning to tell you this, but your immediate reaction was, what's my ROI? And I love that because that can apply, obviously, to your business, but also personal life, right? Yeah. Like, what is the ROI for the things I'm going to do at my kid's school or the ROI for, like we were talking about before, going out for a drink with a girlfriend? Yeah. You know, maybe I'm going to get an hour less sleep or maybe I'm going to have my middle of the night insomnia if I have two or three drinks. Yeah. But the ROI for me and in investing in that relationship and having like really good belly laughs is yeah. huge. Yeah. Right. So like thinking in that lens. ROI and also another litmus test is will I regret not doing this? Mm. Will I regret not doing this? I gave I up. I, I had booked a, a work trip. Um, it was going to be on a cruise and sounded at the time like a great idea. And I paid it. I, I actually had to pay my way to go on the cruise, but it was like a free vacation for you and your family. And I at the time, I had, a, I had a one-year-old. But as it got closer to that cruise, we were in the midst of a renovation. I was going to leave my son with my mom, who had never been alone from us. Hmm. And I sat there thinking, I'm stressing out about this stupid work thing that, yeah, maybe it's also a vacation. And I was like, I'm just going to cancel it. I'm just going to cancel it because... The cost of disappointing those people that I'm not going to be there is less than the cost of me Yeah, going on this trip, being completely miserable, worrying constantly about what's happening over on, you know, off, not like being in an ocean, first of all, like you're not able to like leave (laughs) if something, God forbid, happens. Like I'm in the middle of an ocean. And and so that anxiety, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to disappoint some a few people yeah but but make myself a lot happier in the process and give up the money i gave up the money i was like i I think it was like a couple thousand dollars but i was like not worth it yeah i will i regret this yes um in the sense that i will regret having gone Mm -hmm. and not not really giving myself the permission to say i made a mistake i shouldn't have accepted to do this you know under other circumstances, I may have gone, but there was just too much stress happening on the home front that I just, I couldn't abandon that. Yeah. And it was just going to make me even more stress. And I just knew like, that's a week of worrying. That's going to, yeah. it's going to 
age me. Right. No, it's, <laughs> like, it's going to take years off my life. You literally have those weeks so, where you feel the aging yeah. happening. Yeah. And I, as soon as I said no, I felt so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awkward. I can't make it. But I was like, look, it's this is an extreme decision that I'm making. Like, I don't make these, these decisions lightly. I don't accept to do work gigs that are trip intense and then I don't do them. Like, I'm not constantly breaking promises but this is like you have they didn't understand because nobody had a family nobody like knew that what like going through a major gut renovation was like yeah you know? i was like the timing oh my God. could not so be stressful. worse i yeah. didn't know this was going to be the situation but here we are and i gave them ample notice they were fine they don't even remember right right that's the truth of it but the truth of it is is the value that you got was not only that immediate reshifting of the priorities important to you and the people most important to you and giving yourself permission to disappoint people because, you yeah. know, I can tell you every day in some aspect of my life, I am disappointing someone and I'm okay with that Yeah, because I'm trying not to disappoint myself and I'm mostly trying not to disappoint my husband because I want to yeah. stay married. But it's th- that, that getting to that space where like, it's okay for me to let you down right now because another time I'm not going to let you down and that's all right. right. Um, and, and finding that balance, but also think of how much, that one decision, that lesson has given you through all of the other decisions that you make down the road and that you'll continue to make, you know, as as the kids get older and as you go. You you have one question that you ask a lot on your podcast, and I'd love to ask you Ooh, if yeah. I can steal with pride a little bit here. Um, do you have a money moment in your life that has, you know, been what you consider a mistake but also taught you so yeah. much? Very recently, actually. So last year I became a co-founder in a company and still a co-founder in the company. And I think that uh, in hindsight, I wouldn't have bet personally so much. Um, We as co-founders all contributed an equal amount of money into the business, which we thought we were going to earn back. Mm -hmm. And of course, course, you know, it's just, I fell for it. And not that to say that I, I, it was a mistake to be a part of this journey, but in hindsight, I got some great advice after the fact, which was that when you're building a business, don't ever use your own money. Mm, <laughs> interesting. You get an investment. Get, I mean, we like a loan. We got, or, we got yeah, loans. We or, got loans, and we got some funding, and we've paid back some. We've paid back to the debt, but our own personal investments have not become whole yet. Got it. But also, we're only a year in, and we've, you know, but it has. It was a sort of thing where, it, in the moment, I remember thinking like, "What could go wrong?" Mm-hmm. Me, so naive. I've interviewed right. so many entrepreneurs. Everything can go wrong. And everything literally did go wrong from the behind. Like it looked like it went off without a hitch, but behind the scenes, there were so many um, you know, hurdles and upon hurdles along the way, which we actually we jumped through all of them, which is why I kept coming back to this foundational belief that like this is going to work out. It might not work out in this calendar year, but yeah. but this is like we just keep winning after we keep blowing out these fires. We keep blowing them out. Right. And so, but it does, there are days where I'm just like, wow, if I actually had, had if I still have that money in the bank, like life would be a little this different is, right now. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I would have, I, I would not, I, it's hard to get over that. Yeah. Um, you just have to have a lot of faith and keep doing the good work. But we've also now agreed, like we're not putting any more of our own pennies into the company. Yeah. That everything that we're going to do now, we need to get paid first and then we'll execute. Yeah. Um. So you know, we stemmed our losses, but it's just, you know, one of those things where, man, really Farnoosh, you know, you you did, but I also feel like I could afford to do it. I didn't destroy us, you know, 
And honestly, it was a real lesson in business and in partnership. And I just gained so many skills during that year. I also probably lost a couple of years off my life, the no. stress. But you know what? Uh, it's, it's all a life well it's lived. A, it's a, <laughs> it, it's, uh, I have so much empathy now for startup founders. Yeah. So much more. I, well, and I think it's, I, I'd love to check back in on that, on this particular adventure some, in a few years. There's some good things so happening this year, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It seems like you're in it, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to it's see, messy. like, what is the long-term outcome of this? And how do you kind of, like you're saying, you just keep going. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other and putting the fires out. And we can't always see the roadmap. And I think that's why life we, is we, exciting. We say that this is all for the e-true Hollywood story. <laughs> like, we need this drama <laughs> so that we can have our Netflix special. Exactly. Otherwise, the documentary would be so boring. <laughs> We're not going to Sundance with just, they They started the business and made millions of dollars. The end. The, exactly. You need the story. Well, I hope for your sake, this is not the uh, the fire festival or fry festival, whatever that was. <laughs> it was a great documentary. Yeah, which resurrected itself from the documentary. It did, yeah. oddly. And then it went down again. I, it's just so bizarre. Anyway. There, that's a no, whole other episode. That's not happening to us, hopefully. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so thank much you. for making this time. Again, congratulations on all of your success, your thousandth episode, and spending time with us uh, on this Couldn't special day for you. think of a more fun way to do it. Thank you, and congrats to your show. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in for our conversation in Newsstand Studios at Rock Center. Lots more to come every Tuesday, so head on over to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Please feel free to leave us a review to give us some direct feedback and also to help get the podcast in front of more eyes and ears. We really appreciate your support. Until next time.